Welcome to Joyce Barry and Friends, the number one worldwide radio show. The show is outrageous and it's contagious. It will lift your spirits high, you'll feel that you can fly. Transform your attitude, fill it with gratitude. Cut loose and improvise, it's coaching time today. Joyce is a great coach with an extraordinary approach. Fast on the upbeat, top of the heap. A wild motivator, great stimulator. Unstoppable in a humoristic way. Life lessons with passion, joyfully today. You want Joyce as your coach if you want this to be your best year ever. Coach Joyce here. I want this to be your best year ever. I want this to be my best year ever. Welcome to Joyce, Barry, and Friends. We are broadcasting live across America and around the world. This is the Hour to Empower with stimulating talk, views you can use, memorable quotes, and powerful life lessons. We always have hot guests and cool topics. We even have cool guests and hot topics. You always want to tune us on, tune in, and tune up with us to hear the best of the best. You do not want to miss any of our shows. Each show goes into our archives. Log into Joyce Barry and Friends.com, Barry, B-A-R-R-I-E, and you will see each guest and each topic on our homepage. You can play and download any of our shows, always informative, inspiring, and motivational. You want to share these special shows with your friends, family, and contacts. You can follow us on Facebook and become a Joyce Barry subscriber and even a fan by going to our Joyce Barry and Friends fan page. Be sure to check like. You can follow us on Twitter. You can follow us by going to our Blog Talk Radio homepage and clicking follow right below my picture. You can also message me in any of these venues about our show, about our guests, about anything. My official website is JoyceBarry.com. Barry, B-A-R-R-I-E. The chat room is open. Log into the chat room, have fun, and chat away. I go back and forth into the chat room during the show to see what is going on in there. Motivation, inspiration, and an education. Positive, happy thoughts to improve your life, health, and finances. Take positive actions to create a gratifying lifestyle. Life lessons from me, your host, Joyce Barry, straight from the Coach's Corner, and then you will hear from our wonderful guest today. Folks, every day should be treated like a special day. We wish you the finest of friends the opulence of opportunities, the magic of miracles, and the happiest of days. May this year be your best year ever. (laughs) 
Folks, I'm so excited about today's show because it's all about Israel with one of my favorite guests of all time, our friend Joel Freeman. So what a show. Folks, you don't have to be Jewish to appreciate this show today. You'll learn a great deal about Israel, and who knows, you may even want to book your tickets to get out to Israel. Just very briefly stated, uh, officially the state of Israel in the Middle East on the southeastern shore of the Mediterranean Sea, it borders Lebanon in the north, Syria in the northeast, Jordan and the West Bank in the east, Egypt and the Gaza Strip on the southwest, and the Gulf of Akiba in the Red Sea to the south, and it contains geographically diverse features within its relatively small area. In its basic laws, Israel defines itself as a Jewish and democratic state. It is the world's only Jewish minority state. The prime minister serves as head of government. Uh, so I promise you a fascinating show. I just wanted to tell you that little bit about Israel, uh, and hopefully it will entice you to stay tuned and hear all the rest of it from our friend Joel Freeman, a highly accomplished author, an internationally sought-after conference speaker and workshop facilitator, professional counselor, success coach to executives, behavioral analyst, organizational culture change specialist, corporate trainer, motivational consultant, and mentor to pro athletes, multiculturally astute with travels to 50-plus countries. He's a photographer. He's an award-winning filmmaker. He is passionate about dynamic, fun-filled excellence. He's a devoted husband and father. He has a life motivated by curiosity. The only thing I could say about a Joel uh, that isn't, uh, isn't recognized and highly acclaimed is that he, by his standards, he's an extremely bad dancer and <laughs> singer <laughs> and that should be the worst you have to say about anyone PhD author of six internationally acclaimed books in 28 foreign editions endorsed by such notables as Steve Forbes Ken Blanchard Les Brown Brian Tracy Bill Cosby so many others he's listed in Marquis who's who in the world he served for 19 years as a mentor chaplain for the NBA Washington Wizards from 79 through 98, and as president of the Freeman Institute consulting firm, he facilitates staff development, leadership, change management, cultural competency programs for leaders of other nations, government agencies, music and entertainment industries, faith-based organizations and corporations throughout the world. And I promise that these music and entertainment industries that he works with, I'm not going to let them know that he's an off-key singer. So you have my word on that. <laughs> Joel is one of the world's foremost authorities on black history, and he is not black. He knows as much as any scholar about Israel. He loves Israel, and he is not Jewish. I love Joel Freeman. Joel, welcome to the show. Oh, It's my pleasure to be here. Thank you very much, Joyce. And I'm so excited about your recent trip to Israel. My goodness, you just got back, so this is hot off the press. Uh, what would you like to say about Israel? You can start anywhere, end anywhere, whatever you have to say. I can't wait to hear of your experiences. 
Well, I think that the the first thing uh, I know, and I've taken a number of groups over to Israel over the years, and uh, one of the primary issues that people talk about is how safe is it. And uh, all I can say is every time uh, I go to Israel, uh, it's probably the safest flight I, I take going to or from Israel because of the way that they um, uh, vet everyone who's on the plane. And then when you get to Israel, uh, it's just uh, people live life in, in a situation where there's uh, maybe 70,000, 80,000 uh, Israelis surrounded by 430 to 450,000 uh, million, I'm sorry, uh, 70 to 80 million uh, versus uh, 40, uh, 430 to 450 million Arabs all around, and they're they're in a uh, kind of a uh, kind of an open open spot there where it's it's open season on them. It seems like, and yet it's it's one of the safest places on the planet from my perspective. Um, I know that we were there uh, about two three years ago, and I remember waking up in the morning in Jerusalem, and. Uh, our guide uh, at the time, Raz Sabar, he uh, said, do you know what happened last night? It was a Saturday morning. And we said, no. And we were all asleep. And he says, well, uh, 140 rockets were shot uh, from the, the, uh, by, by Hamas last night. And um, not one of them hit a, a, uh, a soft target. Uh, they all were either shot out of the air with the Iron Dome technology. Uh, or they landed in a spot that was uninhabited and allowed to land in that spot. So it, um, uh, you know, I, I thought to myself, and then I came home after that trip, and I tried looking on the media here. Uh, you know, wh- did anyone report on the, these 140 rockets being shot at at a sovereign state? And uh, I, I finally found something that may be uh, two or three lines long on the internet, but nothing in a main, the major mainstream media. And I thought to myself, here in America, if uh, let's just, for the sake of illustration, if, uh, if uh, Mexico started shooting rockets uh, across the border into Texas or Phoenix, Air, uh, Phoenix, Arizona, or Canada started shooting uh, rockets, I mean, they might get one rocket off, and that would be about it. <laughs> uh, you know, and I just think of, of how people view what is going on over there. So safety, uh, I just think it's uh, an important thing to to know that people in Israel probably would have a harder time coming to Washington, D.C. or Baltimore because of all they see on the media about the murders and the uh, the crime in these two cities. And yet, um, you know, uh, they would much rather live in Israel, just to give kind of a context. You know, as you're saying that, I'm thinking I listen to CNN a lot uh, during the day. There's just so much going on with the missing Malaysian plane and so much else. There wasn't one word about any of that. What you, As you were saying, and I, I was thinking, and I have the news on a lot, especially since the incident with the plane and what's going on. So why do you think that is, Joe? Why would you say that it doesn't even make the news something like that? It doesn't, and I think it's, um, I, I just don't know quite how to wrap my head around it. I think it's the way the media uh, is viewing Israel. 
you know, there, there's quite a, a movement. Uh, they call it BDS, uh, Boycott, Divest, and Sanction. And um, it's such a misguided movement uh, because it, it's literally one-sided, and it has to have uh, a rather uh, judgmental view of Israelis, to view is Israelis as invaders, and uh, to not even take the context of history and uh, those types of things in account. And, and then to take a look at the history of, of the Palestinians, uh, who really uh, came uh, mostly from Jordan, and were uh, never called Palestinians prior to this time, and uh, it really causes one to wonder why don't all the other Arab states allow this sliver of land to be uh, occupied uh, or be uh, lived in by by Jews, and uh, and kind of help out if they are considered refugees, help out the Palestinians. Now I know, and I hasten to add, there have been uh, crazy things on both sides. You know, Israelis, I think um, uh, our guide this last trip, Iftach Berman, you know, said you have to be a little paranoid uh, when you consider uh, living as a Jew in that region of the world. And some of the bold statements that are made about wanting to wipe every Jew off the planet and to wipe every Jew out of Israel. Uh, I mean, those are, those are statements that are made by people in, in power positions in Arab nations and so you have to be a little paranoid and uh, a little bit, uh, you know, uh, wondering uh, what is, how long are we going to be able to take this. So it's a day-by-day -day type of situation. And this last trip, we were up in um, the northern region. Uh, when I take trips, uh, we generally do things off the beaten path. Uh, I try to keep it down to uh, one bus load. I keep it limited so that we can be more nimble and move about. And I always have two or three surprises for the pe for people, uh, things that are, aren't on the itinerary. And on this last trip, uh, we went up, uh, Iftaf uh, went to school with uh, the commander of the uh, base um, uh, up on the Lebanon border, literally 100 meters from the border. And they're, uh, the soldiers there on, a, on about a 25, 30 second response time, and they, they could be in the dead of sleep, and in 30 seconds they've got to be ready to go. Uh, to to defend the the land, and so uh, just to get a sense of the commitment, the passion, the high level of training that goes on, and uh, to to realize that these guys uh, are there. Uh, I mean, it's 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 first degree uh, protection. It's it's not layered. I mean, you've got uh, many other layers, of course, but they are right on the front line. And to realize that this, this isn't games, they're not in some other nation uh, doing any nation building or anything like that. They're there uh, literally protecting the sovereignty of the country and, and the, the protecting the lives of men, women, and children throughout the country. It's just mind-boggling to me that people really don't get it about Israel. And to this day, there are so many anti, there's so much anti-Semitism going on. And from the very beginning, May 14, 1948, David Ben-Gurion, the head of the Jewish agency, declared the establishment of a Jewish state in Eretz Israel to be known as the State of Israel. The following day, this, I mean, to this day, I, I, I can't. 
even comprehend how this could happen. The following day, the armies of four Arab countries, Egypt, Syria, Transjordan, and Iraq, entered what had been British Mandate Palestine, launching the 1948 Arab-Israeli War. Saudi Arabia sent a military contingent to operate under Egyptian command. Yemen declared war but did not take military action. In a cablegram of the same day from the Secretary General of the League of Arab States to the UN, Secretary General, the Arab states gave a justification for this intervention. After a year of fighting, a ceasefire was declared and temporary borders known as the Green Line were established. Jordan annexed what became known as the West Bank and East Jerusalem and Egypt took control of the Gaza Strip. So here, the day after, the day Israel, the Israelis there were celebrating, they had their state, the very next day the fighting started, and you know what? To this day, there are many countries who want to wipe Israel off the map. They don't want a Jewish state. They want to kill the Jews based on all lies and evil propaganda. How upsetting is that? Well, you know, it's it's everyday life for uh, 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 people living in Israel, and uh, it's one of those things that uh, I, I think we all adjust to the realities. If someone lives in an urban setting, they adjust to the, the, the street noises, and uh, they learn how to sleep with the window open, with uh, cars passing by. Someone in a rural setting might go nuts and crazy in an urban setting, and vice versa. You know, someone in an urban mm-hmm. setting would go crazy with all the silence and quietness and open skies. And so <clears throat> I think we all adjust to the various different way, places that we live and the, the environments that we live in. And people in Israel have adjusted, and they, li- they literally take it day by day. It's, uh, you know, God gives the grace for another day, and uh, and hopefully tomorrow uh, there will be there will be safety and and uh uh, be able to to live our lives uh, the best way we can to provide for our families, and so you know I'm not Jewish as you mentioned, uh, but I love the uh, the Jewish people. I love the land. Uh, just even the topography of the land uh, is is fascinating to me. Uh, for instance, in the Bible, when it has the Psalms of ascent, as people in the olden times, in the Bible times, were coming to Jerusalem for a festival season. They uh, lift their eyes up into the hills from whence cometh their help. Uh, It says, my help comes from the Lord. And that's uh, looking at Jerusalem from a topographical standpoint, looking up, uh, moving up toward it. And then from a spiritual standpoint, uh, moving up toward Jerusalem. And as as we, um, when we we take trips to Israel, uh, uh, basically, uh, it's usually about a 10-day trip. And we arrive um, uh, generally in the afternoon, and um, my goodness, it's uh, it's just quite remarkable. For the first three days or so, we're up in around Galilee region, and uh, we visit uh, Mount Arbel generally, and look overlook the Galilee region, overlook um, Capernaum and Chorazin and Bethsaida, which are the <clears throat> the triangle that Jesus spent uh, much of his time. Uh, in that particular triangle. And uh, then we go uh, generally over to uh, Nazareth and Cana 
and Megiddo, and um, and then we head on over to Mount Hermon and Banyas, uh, or Caesarea Philippi, from the biblical uh, name for that that particular place. Uh, that's the place where Jesus asked his disciples, "But who do you say that I am?" And then um, we uh, we head head over to uh, that's at the base of Mount Hermon, and then generally we get over to um, look, looking over into uh, Syria and uh, into Jordan, and uh, just just to see these different sites uh, in that region. And then we move on down to um, uh, generally with a, a stop off uh, at at uh, Betshin. Um, and and some other places along the way, maybe have a baptism in the Jordan, uh, just at the mouth uh, near the mouth of the Dead Sea, and then we head on down to uh, uh, to spend the day in uh, going through Masada and uh, taking the cable car up to the top of this epic place, um, just astonishing uh, place, and then uh, to to soak in the history there. And once at the top, you can look over, and there's Engedi, the place where David hid from Saul. So when we come back down off the cable car and head on over to Engedi, about another 20-minute uh, drive or so, 15, 20-minute drive, and then we we go single file all the way up to the the first, and then the second waterfall, and the third, and and just uh, spend some time there, just uh, taking it all in. Um, and and then we head over to Qumran, where the Dead Sea Scrolls were found. And uh, my, my son and I, back about uh, 20 years ago, my oldest son and I, we uh, hiked all through the Qumran caves. And I'm, I'm not sure if we were supposed to or not, but that was uh, what we did for a whole, almost a whole afternoon and into, uh, maybe three quarters of the day. And uh, spend a lot of time just overlooking the Dead Sea and talking about the significance of the Dead Sea Scrolls and uh, their impact on our understanding of the reliability of Scripture. And then the next day we uh, head on over. Wait, excuse me, Joe. Before you continue, can you say a little bit about the significance of the Dead Sea Scrolls? Um, I'd love to hear more about that now, if you, if it's okay. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, the Dead Sea Scrolls are, um, are probably one of the more significant, or perhaps even the most significant find uh, in the last uh, last three centuries, <clears throat> and, and simply because uh, it was it's something where when you start to think about the Dead Sea Scrolls, you begin to realize that you know here they were found in right around 1948 by a young Bedouin boy. Uh, who is looking for his goat? That's at least uh, I don't know how apocryphal that story is, but at least tells a little bit about um, uh, how how the scrolls were found. And then um, uh, they, they, we begin to realize now, after taking a look at the Dead Sea Scrolls, that that the there is kind of a almost a radical Jewish sect, uh, perhaps uh, known as the Essenes, that uh, that occupied that area. And uh, uh, we know that they, uh, it's probably the greatest manuscript discovery of all time, they, uh, they found uh, in, from a number of caves, uh, they found from 11 caves, they found um, uh, between 1952 and 1956 fragments of all Old Testament books. Uh, the entire book of Isaiah was found in Cave 4. And then cave, cave 4 and Cave 1, by the way, were the most productive caves. Um, cop, the Copper Scrolls were found 
And uh, in there, there's 64 sites around Jerusalem where, where treasures uh, are supposed to be found. And there's some actually some treasure hunters using clues from the Copper Scroll trying to find these treasures. And in um, Cave 11, uh, they, there's information about the future temp temple being built in Jerusalem at the end of the age. And the uh, reason why they found them in the caves is, uh, is because we find that the uh, Romans came in and uh, perhaps right around uh, 70 AD when Titus uh, surrounded Jerusalem, there was a, a lot of panic throughout the region. And uh, they figured that, uh, you know, uh, we're in trouble, but we need to save all of these scrolls. So they put them in large jars, uh, pottery jars. And uh, by the way, the Essenes, they, um, they were very uh, uh, manic about cleanliness. And they had a mikvah or a, or a bath area there. Uh, they took ritual ba baths uh, to purify themselves. Uh, they would make. Uh, they had a whole section of the Essenes making pottery, and so after they ate their dinner, uh, they would instead of cleaning the pottery for another day, they would smash it because it was now unclean, and they would have to have fresh pottery made for the next day. And so they made these uh, uh, pottery uh, jars that were perhaps maybe two, two and a half feet tall, and they put these uh, vellum, these leather. Uh, these the scrolls, if you will, uh, not all leather, but uh, scrolls in these jars. And because of living next to the Dead Sea, you have the salt has a purifying uh, and, and preservation, preser uh, preservative factor to it. <clears throat> they, these scrolls were able to survive all this time. And they hid them there because they didn't want the Romans getting these, these scrolls. So that's why they, they were preserved all this time. And uh, what is really cool about this is that um, we know that the, <clears throat> that the Old Testament canon was completed right around 450 B.C. Because uh, on the road to Emmaus, after Jesus was resurrected, and we're at the Easter time now, and, and just we think about that, um, he then joined with two men on the road to Emmaus. And uh, after they were all done, they said, didn't our hearts burn within us because the way that he unfolded the scriptures uh, or expounded the scriptures to us? Now, what scriptures were they talking about? They were talking about the Old Testament canon, uh, the, the um, uh, Genesis to, to Malachi. Uh, the Old Testament canon had been completed. And we know it was complete around 450 B.C. because Josephus wrote a book called uh, Contra Appion. And in there, he wasn't trying to prove anything. He just basically said that the canon of Old Testament scriptures had been completed around the time, uh, around 450 B.C. And, uh, and then we also see that the Masoretic text, which was started around the 6th century A.D., was completed around 900 A.D., <clears throat> at the uh, Talmudic academies in Babylon and also in Palestine. Uh, but then we realize that um, you know, that was done, um, that was completed around 900 A.D. And, um, and then the Septuagint, uh, which is a Greek translation of the Hebrew text, uh, was completed, uh, done around 250 B.C. It was um, a translation process that occurred 
during the reign of Ptolemy Philadelphus. And uh, perhaps uh, the most complete Hebrew text that existed prior to this. And so what, what happens here is, here we have the Masoretic text, 900 A.D. Dead Sea Scrolls are dated right around uh, 990 B.C., 100 B.C., right around there. So we have a, a leap of a millennia, a thousand years, which is huge when it comes to archaeology. And now to be able to compare the Old Testament passages, and remember, all the Old Testament books are in the Dead Sea Scrolls, with the exception of Esther. Why Esther? Because God's name was not mentioned once in the entire manuscript, uh, the entire book of Esther. So it was suspect in the, in the Jewish mind. But every other, Isaiah, you know, uh, Exodus, Genesis, every other book in the Old Testament is there in the Dead Sea Scrolls. And so what's cool about this is now we have this glimpse into all the Old Testament prophecies about the Messiah. Uh, there's some well over a hundred prophecies about who the Messiah was um, and when he'd be born, where he'd be born, how he'd be born. Um, that he'd spend some time in the Galilee region. Uh, Zechariah talks about this Messiah would be sold for 30 pieces of silver. Uh, Zechariah 9 talks about he'd be enter, enter into Jerusalem riding on a donkey. Uh, Psalm 22, that uh, not a, a bone would be broken on his body. Uh, he'd be pierced through his hands and his feet. He'd be born of a virgin, Isaiah 7. Uh, Micah 5 talks about Messiah being born in Bethlehem. So now we know, beyond a shadow of a doubt, beyond a shadow of a doubt, no swoon theories, uh, no, no Passover plots, nothing. Uh, that now we know that all the Old Testament prophecies were in the, in the bank, so to speak, uh, uh, before the time of Jesus. And so it's really interesting. That, to me, is the resounding... Uh, impact of the Dead Sea Scrolls. Yes, and, Joe, that uh, is fascinating. But in the scrolls, at that point in time, what did, when and where did they say at that point in time that the Messiah would be born when and where? How exactly was it stated? This is all stuff I did not know about the Dead Sea Scrolls. Oh, well, well it talked about, in fact, they, they were very interested in, in the Messiah. Uh, it's, it's now believed almost 100% that John the Baptist hung around and was probably even part of the Essene community uh, known as Qumran and that perhaps even when you start looking at where Jesus was baptized literally miles from the Dead sea, where the Dead Sea Scrolls were found miles mm. from the community and, um, and when he went into the wilderness to pray, to hang out um, probably went to that region. Maybe they even knew who he was and so um, uh, who Jesus was. And so it's very fascinating. And so when you start looking at the Old Testament prophecies about the Messiah, uh, Micah chapter 5 and verse 2 says the Messiah would be born out of all of the, um, the continents. It would be in Asia. Out of all the countries in Asia, in Asia Minor, would be Israel. Out of all the provinces, it would be Judea. And out of all the towns, it would be Bethlehem. And uh, born of a virgin, and Isaiah 7, verse 14, and the Hebrew word for virgin is Alma. A very specific word. 
uh, Isaiah 9, 1 through 7, it says that the spiritual work of this Messiah would be done in Galilee, by the way of the sea along Jordan. In Zechariah chapter 11, verses 12 and 13, he'd be sold for 30 pieces of silver. Uh, Zechariah 9, 9. And Isaiah 53 is an amazing chapter. And, and when you look at the Dead Sea Scrolls, you can see, I think in just Isaiah 53 alone, you can see how close it is. There's 17 different changes in what we have today based on what is in the, in the Dead Sea Scrolls. And none of those 17 changes have to do with, um, or differences, I should say, have to do with content. It has to do with uh, punctuation or, you know, just uh, style, if you will. And so it's really kind of cool to be able to compare what we have today, take a millennia, a leap of a thousand years, and to find out it is almost exactly the same thing uh, in the Dead Sea Scrolls. So that's what, when I look at the Old Testament prophecies about the Messiah, and then juxtapose that against, you know, uh, the story of Jesus and others, I'm just astonished by the, um, by the, the, uh, the symmetry and the, the similar, similar nature. And, and uh, you know, if, if I were to say, for instance, there's a guy by the name of Robert Anderson, you know, there might be hundreds, maybe thousands of Robert Andersons around the world. But every new feature, if I start saying, well, uh, he's from uh, Chicago, and his uh, address is uh, on Maple Avenue, and his social security number ends with one two three four. Um, he he he's an engineer. They start every new feature about this R. Robert Anderson narrows it down to only being one person can fulfill the identity of the Robert Anderson I'm talking about when we start looking at all the features about this particular person. And I think the same holds true with the Messiah in the Dead Sea Scrolls. I think. Are are one of many uh, pathways that lead us in that uh, in our in our research and understanding. That is really amazing information. Sounds like we need a whole show on the Dead Sea Scrolls and a whole show on Joel Freeman for sure. You are like amazing, Joel. The wealth of information that you have. Uh, and on so many different things. Uh, I would love you to talk a little bit about uh, the significance uh, of the Holy Land, the Holy Land where the name came from and the Promised Land, uh, how that all ties in. Well, I think that uh, when we start looking at the, the Holy Land, you know, first of all, um, when I first thought about the whole uh, Israel, you know, uh, I mean, when you look at the uh, the original promise to, to Abraham, it actually includes uh, points all the way over to the Fertile Crescent. Israel is literally, literally only one-tenth of what Jehovah promised Abraham. And remember, before Ab- Abraham, there were no Jews. Uh, Abraham was uh, just a regular guy that God said... I'm going to make your name great. He made some promises to him. And out of the out of the eight covenants in the Old Testament, four of which were conditional, four of which were unconditional, this is an unconditional co- uh, 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 covenant. There's no ifs involved. If you do this, I'll do that, as with you know, some of the, the four, uncondi- four conditional covenants. 
But this particular covenant, he said, I'm going to give you the land, and you can begin to take a look at this whole region, this huge area that encompasses much of Iraq and, and so many other parts of that, the whole region of, of that part of the world. And, um, and then when, when uh, uh, you look, you follow the whole, um, uh, you know, ranging from, uh, from Abraham to, uh, to Isaac and, jo- you know, the, it, this promise didn't even begin to come to fruition, even an inkling, until Joseph came on the scene, four generations later which really gives us quite a glimpse into the long view of Jehovah, long view of God, uh, that, that uh, when he makes a promise, he keeps it, and, uh, and even if it takes four generations for it to even begin to start to be fulfilled, uh, it's, it's on his timetable, it's his chronology, and, uh, and, and that's why Abraham is known as a man of faith. And when God made the promise, he said, look up in the stars in the sky. How many stars are there? And uh, Abraham said, they're numberless. I, I, I can't tell you how many there are. Look at the, then, he, then a little bit later, he says, look at the sand or the dirt on the ground. How, how many granules are there? How, how, much, how, much, how many grains of sand are there? Abraham said, they're numberless. They're, they're, they're just uh, overwhelmingly, uh, it, it's infinite. Well, <clears throat> I think that that, that is, uh, that, that there are children of Abraham, both by DNA, by the dirt, by the dust, if you will, and the stars, and by promise. And so, uh, you know, there are two categories of people, the Jewish people and people who believe in the God of Abraham. Uh, and, and, uh, and I believe in Yeshua, myself. That's, that's my belief. Can, can call Abraham their father by the Spirit, by faith, by promise. If you follow that all through, and you begin to realize that there is this, <clears throat> this line, this lineage, but now, now we bring it up to being in bondage. And by the way, that was part of the prophecy. He said there's going to be some 400 years that, that your people will be in bondage in Egypt. And when the exodus occurred, and the whole story, how Moses is in a bull rush, and he somehow all the young Hebrew boys, two and under, are being killed, murdered by, by Pharaoh. But Moses is spared. He ends up becoming the deliverer, uh, and then they come, they, they wander around for 40 years, and then they come to the Jordan River, and, and uh, it, it, both the Red Sea and the Jordan River are miraculously opened up for them. And then they begin to conquer this land that had been promised, but a whole generation of unbelievers, a whole generation of people that were caught up in the negativity of the wilderness had to die off in order for this new generation to be open to this promised land. Now, the thing about Israel that I find fascinating, when you look at uh, the Silk Road in Asia and some of the other ancient trade routes, one of the prime trade routes of the entire ancient world of that time in that region was the Via Maris. It started up in the Fertile Crescent, came down through Damascus, and came around to past Megiddo, and all the way down to Egypt. And it was this, tr- this rich trade route going back and forth between Egypt and the Fertile Crescent. And what, it, what happened is it passed through Israel. And so 
we have this people that uh, God said, I'm going to create you and develop you as a client nation, if you will, to be a light to the Gentiles. That's what it says in the Old Testament, to be a light to other people, and which they blew many, many ways. And it's just astonishing. We hold our heads and say, you saw so many miracles. And you, you I mean, the waters were parted. And you saw a, a cloud by day and a fire, pillar of fire by night. And yet you, you know, the next day you disbelieve, <laughs> wanting to go back to Egypt and all the different things. And, it's, and I think it's such a picture and, and such a kindergarten lesson about human nature. Uh, I struggle with that. Uh, every one of us struggle in some way with sometimes uh, mis- disbe- disbelieving and, and just trying to wonder what is really going on, try to figure things out on our own. And, um, and yet God did, never gave them a bill of divorcement. Never walked away. But here's what's cool about it. Instead of, of them going out to the world to be a light to the people, other people, instead, it's like God chose a small little sliver of land that whoever controlled Megiddo would control the Via Maris, would control that trade route. And that's why when you go to Megiddo, the Valley of Jez, uh, Jezreel, you begin to realize <clears throat> there were over 200 battles fought there. Why? Because everyone wanted to control Megiddo. And and so it's just a, an amazing thing to think about that God would place this nation, this small little nation of people that grew probably there maybe one and a half to two million after 400 years in Egypt. And uh, now they're coming into this land, a whole generation of die off. Now they're there. They had to fight giants that <laughs> were in the land, according to the the, ten, the the spies that came back and told what the Joshua was going on. They had to fight the Jebusites and the Girgashites and the Amorites and the Ammonites and all the ites. And um, still they could only occupy part of this tiny little land. And so it's pretty astonishing to me to, to see, to kind of back up, okay, that's what happened. And then to take a look at the spiritual implications for that, from that, that we can take a look in our own lives, that there are certain things that were promised, that were are given to us, but we still have to fight the battles. You know, it's it's like uh, having a radio talk show or radio show. You know, it's it's a gift that you've been given, uh, Joyce. But every day you have to fight the battle. You have to bring in something fresh. You have to do something new. It's it's it, it is giants to conquer the land. But it's, but it's something that, that is yours. It's your territory. And it has your name on it. And it, it's, it's, uh, but I think it's quite a picture of, of uh, life. And I think that's why the New Testament says that all the things that happened to the, the Jews um, were all an example for us so that we can learn from it and, and somehow gain wisdom from it all. And, and the story continues. That was a great metaphor, Joel, and so true, so true. No matter what your territory is and what you're up to, there's always battles to be fought. There's always the next level, the next thing to do to better what you've done. Uh, Folks, first of all, let me wish all our Jewish friends around the world a very happy Passover. We're smack in the middle of Passover week, and that's why it's such a blessing and an honor to have Joel Freeman with us this week. It makes it especially significant for all of us. 
I just want to refer you to Monday's show where we had the very esteemed Rabbi Potasnik, Rabbi Joseph Potasnik, who ushered in Passover. We had our Passover celebration, and that show was chosen by Blog Talk Radio as one of the best of the day. Uh, it was put right on top of their homepage endorsing the show, Rabbi Joseph Potasnik celebrating Passover. Yesterday's show, I did this show solo to cover the Passover story in detail and its traditions. So that would be yesterday, April 15. You'll find these in our archives. And I must say that the moment this show goes off the air, you'll find this show in our archives as well. Uh, folks, I just want to share with you that besides these uh, incredible and holy holidays, Passover, uh, tomorrow's show with Beverly Nadler, we're going to do celebration of the Jewish people. We're going to have a talk about the comedians, the jokes, the, all the funny things, the light things uh, that are so much fun that the Jews bring to the world as well, contributions, trivia, that kind of show tomorrow. And then on Friday, Friday, we have the very honorable Pastor Timothy Henderson with a celebration of Good Friday and Easter Sunday, which is that weekend. So we're doing our Easter show this Friday. I uh, just want you to know that you should be listening to the show every day, not just Passover, not just Easter, but every day. Here's why in the words of Beverly Nadler. Listen to me. I have something to say about a wonderful way to start your day, a way to stimulate your mind and increase your energy, make you feel so good. And guess what? It's free. Weekdays at 11 a.m. Eastern, hear the Joyce, Barry, and Friends show. You'll find it on the Internet, on Blog Talk Radio. This show is upbeat and fun and very inspirational. It's informative, educational, and very motivational. There's the Coach's Corner, great quotes and news. There are suggestions, perspectives, and advice you can use to enhance your life and improve your health, plus clever, simple ways to increase your wealth. Joyce's perceptions and personality will keep you captivated, and her guests from many walks of life will always keep you fascinated. When Joyce and her friends speak, it's like you're in the conversation. This is part of what makes her show so unique, really a sensation. For Joyce's friends are not only the guests you're listening to, they're everyone who is tuning in. Yes, I do mean you. So refer your friends and family. They'll be so pleased to know. And let's make Joyce Barry and Friends the number one Internet radio show. Indeed, indeed. And you can help that have that happen, folks, by going to Joyce Barry, B-A-R-R-I-E, and friends.com. On the home page, left side, right under my picture, click follow, and you'll be apprised of all the shows every day, the guests, the topics, and what we are up to. Just click follow right under my picture on the home page. We apologize for the technical glitch. We are back. Joel, are you there? Yes, I am. 
Okay, so I was on with tech support, and uh, they just had it handled. We apologize for that. So thank you all for hanging in there and listening to us. I'll have that edited out, (laughs) so we'll have another perfect show with Joel Freeman. Joel, before we continue, why don't you tell people your website, how they can reach you, how they can get in touch with you. Well, um, I think if they go to IsraelCrazy.com, That'll give uh, a very quick overview about the Israel trip I, I, t- I lead every year. Israel Crazy, just as it sounds, dot com. IsraelCrazy.com. And uh, that's probably the best one for this particular show. Okay. But you do so much else out there in the world. Do you want to refer them to your official website as well? Well, yes. They can go to Great Workshops. Dot com, great workshops, plural, dot com. And you'll find out more about Joel Freeman, Israel Crazy. We'll talk about the tour, and you just might want to be on the one next year. I'd like to talk a little bit about Israel, the, the Israel that I know. You, you have the sophisticated Israel. When I went there, the two things that impressed me the most, one was the Dome of the Rock. I did not go there, but from where I was standing, at the Wailing Wall, I could see the Dome of the Rock. So, Joe, I'd just like you to talk a little bit about the Dome of the Rock, and I'll talk with you as well on the Wailing Wall. Okay. Yeah, it's a. Um, I've been in in the Dome of the Rock, <clears throat> and all the also the Al Aqsa Mosque, <clears throat> and that was a number of years ago, and um, it is. Uh, According to Islamic tradition, the place that Muhammad went up uh, into the heavens, and um, it's it's probably if you were to compare it with the size of the uh, original temple um, of of uh, Solomon's temple, it's about Solomon's temple would have been about four or five times larger, just to give you an idea of of the size of Solomon's temple. It, it was Solomon's temple on that exact site. We don't know. Uh, some scholars believe, and archaeologists believe, that it's over a little bit. That the uh, Mosque of Omar uh, could stay where it is, and Solomon's temple would be um, right, uh, you know, uh, several hundred yards away from it. Uh, if you're looking at the front of the Mosque of Omar, or let's say from the the, the side of the, the Wailing Wall, the Western Wall, <clears throat> it would be to the left of the Mosque of Omar. And um, the, the tradition is that, that the um, Mount Moriah, that that is Mount Moriah, the Temple Mount, the place where uh, Abraham was uh, uh, offering up sa- uh, Isaac as, uh, for a sacrifice. It is also the traditional place that when uh, David had uh, committed a sin at the time of numbering his troops and uh, uh, a number of, uh, and God really was angry with David, King David, and so he he went uh, to this place and it was a threshing floor owned by somebody else and uh, the man said, uh, and David said, I want your threshing floor. And the man said, you can have it. You're the king. It's yours. You take it. And David said, no, 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 no. Uh, anything I do here is, is done by sacrifice. I've got to pay for it. And so he paid the man handsomely for that spot. And so it is, um, it's a place that's rich with history. 
in ancient times, it's believed believed that the uh, that's the belly button of the world, so to speak. That, um, that when the earth was uh, the world was created, that this was the um, the place where it all started. So who knows? But that's that's uh, Jewish tradition. And the whaling world. Did you visit that while you were there? Absolutely. And we always uh, there's what is known as the Kotel Tunnel where uh, there is excavations being done underground. So you follow the whaling wall, the western wall, down underground uh, to where it turns a corner uh, under the Arab uh, sector of, of the city. And no excavation can be done under that, of course, uh, because of the political ramifications. But um, it is pretty astonishing. Uh, there is one huge, enormous stone that uh, people still scratch their heads. So I think it's the largest stone of ancient times that was moved into place uh, as a, um, I think it's 52 feet long, about four feet wide, and about uh, perhaps um, uh, 15 feet tall. <clears throat> just huge. Uh, it's just hard to even imagine how anything like that could have been moved. But that's what you see. Uh, one of the first things you see in one of the first stops when you look at the the, the tunnel and the, the wall following the western wall all the way down. And then, of course, most of Jerusalem is built up. It's kind of like if, if you and I were standing here and I put uh, like uh, seven or eight baseball caps on your head. Each baseball cap would represent another f civilization. And so if you look at Jerusalem today, it is probably in most places nine to 15 feet above where it was at the time of Jesus. And so uh, when you go down along the western wall, uh, there's a one point where you see first century stones. And you know that was first century. That was the time around Jesus when uh, people were there at the, at the, uh, uh, at, at, at the temple and uh, along the wall region there. So it's pretty exciting. It's... Um, uh, going to the, the Wailing Wall, the, the Western Wall, is uh, quite an, an experience. It's hard to put into words, and uh, especially uh, the evening, uh, Friday evening, when Shabbat starts. Uh, there's a lot of joy and dancing and singing around uh, the, the courtyard there and uh, near the wall, and it's uh, quite a, an electric feeling, uh, just watching and observing. And I, I really... I'm very, very touched um, uh, every time I go visit the wall. And that was the truth for me as well. Um, I, it just reached me in every part of my being, my heart, my soul, standing at the wall. I just felt I was at the most religious place in the world that I could possibly be on holy ground in Israel at the Wailing Wall. And that's a place where people put notes in the wall, little notes in the wall. There yes. are thousands of notes in the wall, and I was sure to put a note on the left side of the wall, one on the right side of the wall, and one in the middle. And um, I, it was like I, I stood even and I kissed the ground that was there. I, I was just so moved. Like Joel said, it's hard to put in words. It was a very emotional experience for me. Yeah. Uh, I, I spent perhaps a week, ten days in Israel myself, but I would say that was the highlight. And the Dome of the Rock, uh, that was interesting to look at there because that's worshipped by the different faiths. That, that, that's significant to the different faiths out of there. 
anything else you want to say about the Dome of the Rock? Because it has significance for Islam and for the Jews as well. Yes, and that's that's the point of contention, is uh, right. because as we read uh, Old Testament prophecies, and he, as I was mentioning about the Qumran caves, uh, the Qumran uh, community, the Essenes, they had a whole scroll just about the uh, building of a, of a new temple. And uh, who knows how that all is going to happen. I mean, there are... Uh, if, once you get away from the uh, Temple Mount area, there there is a group uh, go into the um, into the Israel uh, the the Jewish quarter, and there's a, a place where um, they they actually use a group that's building um, uh, items for the new temple, and it's interesting to talk with them, and uh, they are just as sincere as can be, and some believe it's going to happen miraculously. Others believe that it will be uh, be, be built stone by stone uh, as uh, as it was um, with Solomon's temple, and they are actually making the implements, uh, the menorah, uh, the candlestick, and then also the um, uh, the holy of holies, the um, uh, the mercy seat, and uh, all of these different items. It's very fascinating to consider uh, what they're thinking. So it's it's quite something when you when you uh, look at all the different faiths there in Jerusalem, and you can see the juxtaposition and trying to live uh, with uh, each other in harmony and unity as much as possible. Uh, given that um, you know there is such it's such a, a uh, uh, such such a, a controversial aspect of living in Jerusalem itself when you think about the different faces that are there and all wanting to lay hold to different aspects of the city. Absolutely. And the Passover service ends with next year in Jerusalem. And on Monday, yes. show they asked the rabbi, why, why aren't we saying this year in Jerusalem? It's <laughs> next year in Jerusalem. And that's because we're always planning and that there's more to do, the rabbi said in front, of course. But that's how the Passover service ends. Folks, once again, all over the world, I want to wish our Jewish friends a very happy Passover. We're going to give you a great show for Easter Sunday and on Friday. It's Good Friday. We'll do that show with the very honorable uh, Pastor Timothy Henderson. He does a great job when he's on our show. Uh, Monday show, once again, you can hear from Rabbi Joseph Potasnik, the honorable Potasnik on the board of rabbis. Yesterday's show, all about the story and traditions of Passover. Tomorrow's show with Beverly Nadler, the fun part of being Jewish, the jokes, the trivia, all that kind of thing, and a lot of people that are Jewish, uh, their names are different, so you don't even know they're Jewish, we'll let you know who they are, the movie stars, and uh, I would say the Jewish people have more notable comedians that impacted our culture on a fun level than any other denomination. We have so many of them, Don Rickles, Jerry Lewis, and I could just go on and on with that. 
So, uh, and one other show I want to refer you to, that would be Joel's extraordinary show on Israel in our archives. You simply arrow down to December 19, 2012, and you'll hear an extraordinary show with Joel Freeman and Pam Thompson about what is really going on without the hype, without uh, all the propaganda that comes from the other side, the haters of Israel. Joel, what would you like to say to sum up? Well, I just think it's um, important on everyone's bucket list to to think about how they can visit Israel. And and I don't care in terms of faith or anything. Just look at it more even through the lens of history and geography and topography and just uh, to view it as as kind of a a time to learn about some ancient uh, uh, historical uh, realities that, that occurred. It's just a, an incredible uh, country, and when you think, you know, uh, Mark Twain wrote a book called Innocence Abroad in 1869, and in there he said he visited Palestine and the whole region and said it was just uh, terrible, desolate, nothing, a few Bedouin tents here and there, and that it was just nothing happening, and um, and then to consider where we are. Uh, you know what? A hundred plus years later, and uh, it's uh, the Old Testament and Isaiah said that uh, prophesied that it would blossom, bloom like a rose. And um, you know, and you start looking and uh, around and look at the agrarian economy and, and at the oranges, the Jaffa oranges are world famous. You look at the technology parks, just full, brimming with uh, brilliant people creating things. Uh, that that, um, uh, that that impact our cell phones and everything. You know, if, if people want to boycott Israeli goods, uh, they better uh, boycott their cell phones and so many other pieces of technology. And uh, so it's it's pretty interesting to uh, to think about what is going on in the land and and the people that have such a sense of passion, uh, not only about the history but also being. Israel, Israelis in, in, in Israel right now and uh, being a part of continuing the legacy. And I would encourage, if you want to go to IsraelCrazy.com, that's IsraelCrazy, just as it sounds, as crazy as it sounds, IsraelCrazy.com, <laughs> and, uh, and feel free to, to, to find out if this is a, a, the trip that you might want to take next year. And having taken a trip to Israel, I can't endorse it highly enough to be with someone like Joel Freeman. My goodness, it doesn't get better than that. IsraelCrazy.com. And go to GreatWorkshops.com as well. Find out more about Joel and his life beyond Israel. Um, he, he has so many extraordinary books. He is a great scholar on black history. We do shows with him on that as well. My goodness, when I look at all the web sites he has to find out about Joel. The list is endless. JoelAFreeman.com, his bio. WorkHardWorkSmart.com, one of his books. So there is so much to be said about Joel that, as I said to Joel earlier on, I want to do a whole show just about him. Folks, thank you so much for listening today. Uh, as I say, you don't have to be Jewish to appreciate Passover. You don't have to be Jewish to appreciate Israel. Lord knows many Christians are invited to a Passover service. 
Uh, thank you, Joe. We love you. We bless you. We value you. We can't have you on often enough. You're always welcome on our show. So, folks, go out, celebrate Passover, celebrate Easter, celebrate miracles that will come your way if you believe in miracles. Celebrate resources, opportunities. Just keep your mind open. These are very significant holy days of Jews and Christians worldwide. Make every day significant. Here is our celebration song. I was listening to Blog Talk Radio when my ears heard something that I didn't know. From the speakers of my laptop I heard a voice. It was the White Oprah, also known as Joyce. He did the mash. The Joyce Barry mash. Joyce Barry mash. She is a coaching smash. He did the mash. You'll catch on in a flash. He did the mash. The Joyce Barry mash. I felt so inspired by her show and her poetry was just so good you know i want to listen to joyce again and again as joyce would say if not now when he did the mash the joyce barry mash joyce barry mash she is a coaching smash he did the mash you'll catch on in a flash he did the mash the Joyce Barry Mash. Wow. Joyce knows all about having fun. Wow. She's a home business wizard and she's just begun. Wow. She's wow. a coaching sensation for not just me or wow. you or her. It's for everyone. You can mash. Do the Joyce Barry Mash. Joyce Barry Mash. She's a home business smash. Then you can mash. You'll catch on in a flash. Then you can mash. Do the Joyce Barry mash! Wow. <laughs> wow. Have a fantastic day wow. and listen to Joyce Barry and friends. Wow. <laughs>